Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. Good, good, good. In case you don't know me, my name's Kate. I'm the lead pastor here alongside my wife, Beth. And at No Limits, we're here to help you know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. The bottom line is we want you to come on in, get equipped to go out and make a difference for the kingdom of God. That's why we're here this morning. And today I'm wrapping up our series about the end times. Anybody enjoyed this series? Awesome. Glad to hear it. Many tend to avoid the subject. Maybe you avoided it before we started the series and then I just forced it upon you. You're welcome. Um, But you might as well learn to embrace it because God promises a special blessing for those who engage in the prophecies of the end times. Take a look in Revelation 1-3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says. For the time is near. I'm blessed for bringing you this message, and you're blessed for obeying it, obeying what the word of God says. So y'all ready to be blessed today? Me too. So we've already talked about the signs of the end times. We've talked about the rapture of the church. Last week, we talked about the timeline of the end times and the tribulation. Today, I'm going to help you understand what happens after the tribulation, the millennium and eternity. Yeah. The millennium. That's one of those subjects that you don't often hear talked about at church. So this might be one of the most interesting messages you've ever heard. But first, let's quickly review the timeline of the end times. As I explained last week, we don't know the exact time these things are going to happen, but we do know the chain of events. We know the order in which these things are going to happen. So we are currently at the end of the church age over there on the left of the chart. There's a little red thing, red dot. You are here. That's where we're at. Um, The next thing that's going to happen is the rapture of the church. So you can follow that yellow line up. We go on up, and um, then we hit the judgment seat of Christ. And this is not to determine if you're saved or not. The fact that you were raptured proves that you were saved. So rest assured, if you end up raptured, you're like, "Woo, (laughs) I'm good. I'm good. But the judgment seat of Christ is when you'll stand before Jesus to be judged for what you did here on earth. Everything evil and worthless that you did will be burned up in an instant. And everything good that you did for the kingdom of God will be rewarded. Then we will enter into the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we will enjoy a seven-year feast with Jesus while the world is down here suffering through the tribulation. Speaking of, the tribulation is going to be terrible. I went through the details of that last week, and I don't want to scar the kids in the room by going through it again. Um, But at the end of the seven-year tribulation is the return of Christ. He will come back with eyes of fire and destroy the beast and the false prophet and everybody who worshiped the beast. We come back with Jesus to rule and to reign on the earth for a 1,000-year period called the millennium. I'm going to explain that to you today. And then after the 1,000 years is the final judgment, where everybody who rejected Christ will be sentenced to eternity in the lake of fire. At this point, the earth will be destroyed by fire. Like I told you last week, those pushing global warming are definitely prophetic. It's just not going to be caused by fossil fuels. It's going to be caused by God. And it's a ways away. And then God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And this will complete a 7,000 year trip from the Garden of Eden to the end of the millennium. In 2 Peter 3.8, we discover that a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And in Genesis, we discover God's rhythm for time. Work for six days, rest for one. And this is why it's a 7,000 year trip from the Garden of Eden to the end of the millennium. Take a look at this chart for a better understanding. 
Time started when God created Adam around 6,000 years ago. On this chart, that's day one, the beginning of day one. And then for 2,000 years, men just did what they thought was best. This is called the age of chaos for obvious reasons. Then God gave Moses the Torah or the law. And this includes the first five books of the Bible, which teaches us how to live according to God's way. And this began a 2,000 year period of the law. And at the end of that time, the Messiah came, which is Jesus and ushered in the church age on day five there. It's also known as the end of days. Anytime you see the Bible say the end of days, it's talking about the entire church age, all 2,000 years of that. We are now at the end of the end of days. We're at the end of the end of the days. We will soon be raptured. The seven-year tribulation will take place at the end of day six. And then comes the millennium. The millennium is like a Sabbath. It's a day of rest for the earth after 6,000 hard years. At the end of the millennium, God's design for time will be fulfilled. Time will cease and we will enter into eternity. And I'm looking forward to that. But now that we understand the timeline of the end times, let's back up to the return of Christ at the end of the tribulation and dig into the details of what happens at that point in time. You see, right before Christ returns, this is at the end of the tribulation, the nations of the world will gather at Jerusalem for the war of wars called Armageddon. Anybody heard of Armageddon? Not the movie, but the actual war that's going to take place. Zechariah prophesied about this, and he said, Watch, for the day of the Lord is coming. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. So this is at the end of the tribulation. Who's in control of Jerusalem at the end of the tribulation? Y'all remember? The Antichrist, right? So the nations are actually gathering to fight against the Antichrist because everybody wants control of Jerusalem. The Bible actually says that people will become drunk because of how bad they want Jerusalem. It'll be like they're drunk. They don't even know why they're doing this, but they're all fighting for Jerusalem. And once they're gathered, an unexpected army is going to enter the scene. It's not an earthly army. It's an invasion from heaven. You see, heaven will open and everybody will see Jesus Christ coming on his white horse his eyes will be like flames of fire, and he'll be wearing many crowns. And he'll be followed by the armies of heaven dressed in pure white, and they'll also be riding white horses. And you know who that is? That's us. We're going to follow Jesus. And here's what happens next. The kings of the world and their armies were gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. I mean, what a bunch of idiots, right? <laughs> to, to fight against Jesus. Their entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse, and the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. Gross. Not only does Jesus wipe out the kings of the world and their armies, but in this time he also captures the beast, he captures the false prophet, and sends them alive into the lake of fire to suffer. And at this point, all unbelievers have been purged from Israel. They're gone. They're vulture food. And the believers who survive this war, they'll come out refined like gold. They're going to be like, well, look what Jesus can do. Satan will be bound, and everything is now ready for the millennium. In Daniel chapter 12, we discover that there's a 75-day gap between the return of Christ and the start of the millennium. 75 days. And during this time, Jesus will be preparing to rule and to reign. And when I think about the millennium, my first thought is, how is the earth restored after everything that goes on during the tribulation? Anybody else thought that? I mean, you may remember from last week that at this point, all sea life is dead. A third of the earth has been burned. All the drinking water is tainted. Who wants to come back to that? Well, I do because look at what happens whenever Jesus returns. We find this in Isaiah chapter 51. The Lord will comfort Israel again and have pity on her ruins. 
Her desert will blossom like Eden. Joy and gladness will be found there. The earth will be restored to Garden of Eden status, instantaneous whenever the Lord returns. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be glorious. And also during this 75-day gap before the millennium starts, Jesus will execute the judgment of the nations. And he mentions this in Matthew 25. He said, all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. You may remember in the first week of this uh, series where I talked about how the Bible talks about three different groups of people, the Jews, the Gentiles, and the church. So when it says that Jesus gathers the nations, what we just read, he's talking about the Gentiles, not the church, not the Jews, but the Gentiles. He will gather the Gentiles from every time period and separate them into two categories, the sheep nations and the goat nations. The sheep nations, which are the ones he just described on his right, are those who cared for the people of Israel. I was hungry and you fed me. He's talking about they took care of Israel. They cared for Israel. The goat nations are those who either neglected or persecuted Israel. In other words, every nation is going to have to answer for how they treated the Jews. Where do you think Germany is going to end up? Definitely a goat nation, right? How about the USA? We're a sheep nation. Although there are plenty of Americans who hate Jews and they're trying to change that. We must stand with Israel and prevent that from happening. Because in the judgment of the sheep and the goats, the goat nations will be cast into the lake of fire. The sheep nations will enter into the millennium. Just like God promised in Genesis, he says, I will bless those who bless you and I'll curse him who curses you. Talking about Israel. So those who bless the nation of Israel will be blessed in the millennium with the millennium. Those who curse the nation of Israel will be thrown into the lake of fire. After the judgment of the nations, the millennium will begin. The earth will finally enter into its thousand-year rest after 6,000 years of hard labor. Israel will finally possess the land, all the land that was promised to Abraham. The desert will become a fertile plain. The Dead Sea will actually burst with life. And the same fish that are in the Mediterranean Sea will be found in the Dead Sea. All people will enjoy divine health. Jerusalem will become the joy of the world. For Jesus will actually reign in Jerusalem during the thousand-year Millennium. Imagine a thousand years of a Sabbath-like rest. Genuine peace. Perfect health. And unhindered worship of our King Jesus Christ. The earth will be in true harmony where it says the wolf shall lie with the lamb. Even the animals are going to get along. Some might still be wondering, you know, this sounds great and all, but why do we need a thousand-year millennium? Can't we just go on into eternity? And that's a great question, and there's many reasons, but there's many reasons God included the millennium in his plan. First, Jesus promised to reward those who bless Israel. As we talked about earlier, the millennium is a reward for the sheep nations. Second, God promised Abraham land that Israel has yet to possess. To give you perspective, biblical scholars estimate that the land promised to Israel is approximately 300,000 square miles. They currently occupy 8,000 square miles. In times past, they've occupied more, but they've never occupied the full 300,000 square miles. That is until the millennium. Third, the millennium will fulfill the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in Luke 11. Your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This has been prayed by millions throughout generations. God hears our prayers, and this request will be completely fulfilled during the millennium. Lastly, the millennium will be final preparation for eternity. Satan will be bound. Jesus will be ruling from Jerusalem. The church will rule with him through godly wisdom. The world will be marked by joy, holiness, glory, comfort, justice, health, protection, freedom, and prosperity, all those things that we want right now. But even so, man's fallen nature will still be around. The believers who survived the tribulation will have children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren over the thousand years. Millions of babies will be born during the millennium. And there'll be babies just like you and I were, kind of prone to sin and prone to trouble, right? Need a little discipline. Though the Christian parents who enter the millennium will teach their children right from wrong, some of these children are going to exercise their free will and choose to sin. That's why Revelation 19 mentions that Jesus will rule with a rod of iron during the millennial reign. Sin will still be around, and it's going to be dealt with sternly. The millennium will prove that even when Satan is bound, we all need Christ. We can't be good on our own. We can't earn salvation on our own. We can't measure up to God's standard on our own. We must submit to Jesus Christ. So you may be wondering, how do you know sin's going to still be around during the millennium? People usually don't like it whenever you say that. That's not my vision of the millennium. I don't want sin to be around. Well, we know this is true because of what happens at the end of the thousand years. In Revelation 20, when the thousand years comes to an end, Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog in every corner of the earth. He will gather them together for battle, a mighty army, as numberless as sand along the seashore. What will make these people follow Satan when he's let out of his prison? The sinful nature that they've yet to crucify in Christ. Just like Adam and Eve lived in a perfect environment and chose to sin, there's going to be people who live in the millennium and choose to sin. And when Satan is released, they will willingly follow him. Satan will gather an army together once again to fight against Jerusalem. And at this point, who's reigning in Jerusalem? Jesus Christ. I mean, what an idiot, right? <laughs> Let's go fight Jesus in Jerusalem. And once and for all, the people of the earth will learn that rebellion always ends in destruction. Because here's how it ends in Revelation 20. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people in the beloved city. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. In the end, the millennium turns out to be God fulfilling his promises and giving mankind time to choose him. And even though he will provide the perfect environment, many people will still reject him. God's so patient. <laughs> Goodness gracious, he's patient. But in the end, he will purge creation of the evil effects of sin finally and forever. It'll be done. The earth will be destroyed by fire. Heaven and earth will pass away, and a new heaven and earth will come on the scene. This marks the end of time and the beginning of eternity. But first, before eternity begins, there will be one final judgment. You see, leading up to this point, we've actually already had six judgments. So the final judgment is the seventh. And you know, that's God's perfect number. Judgment number one, the bride of Christ, living and dead, are resurrected and rewarded right after the rapture, judgment seat of Christ. Judgment number two, believers who died in the tribulation are resurrected and rewarded at the end of the tribulation. 
Judgment number three, the Old Testament believers are resurrected and rewarded after the second coming of Christ. Judgment number four, the Jews who survived the tribulation are judged after the second coming of Christ. Judgment number five, the judgment of the sheep and goat nations happens right after the second coming of Christ. And then judgment number six is the judgment of Satan and his fallen angels that happens at the end of the millennium when he throws them into the lake of fire. And then there's one more group of people who have yet to be judged. All the unbelievers who died throughout the ages, they've yet to be resurrected because only believers have been resurrected up to this point. And the final judgment is reserved for them. Revelation 20 describes this final judgment as the great white throne judgment. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead. And death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The great white throne judgment is not for believers. That's not your judgment. It's not for you. It's the final sentence for unbelievers. They will all come before Jesus He'll show them why they're being judged, and he'll throw them into the lake of fire forever. He will also throw death in the grave into the lake of fire. And that's how we know it's the final judgment, because 1 Corinthians says that for Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. There will be no future judgments after the great white throne judgment. That's the, that's the end. Death and hell will be finished. Eternity will commence. And after this dark hour of the great white throne judgment, God will present us with a new heaven and a new earth, like it says in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Praise God. In the millennium. We will rule and reign with Jesus Christ here on the earth. But in eternity, we will live in heaven with God himself. We'll be able to talk with God in the cool of the day, just like Adam and Eve did. The millennium is going to be awesome, but eternity is going to be even better. We will finally be home, just like it says in Philippians. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we eagerly wait for him to return. There tends to be a lack of excitement about eternity because of the way the church has explained it over the years. Now most people think we're going to be sitting around and plucking harps all day. Yeah, the musicians are like, that's okay. Everybody else is like, that's awful. And it's not true. Although we can't comprehend the full wonder of heaven, Scripture does give us some ideas on what it'll be like. You see, heaven is going to be a place of praise. What that means is you're not going to see people walking around with sour looks on their face. Everybody is going to be overcome with the goodness of God. Everybody will be smiling. Just imagine a world where everybody's walking around, driving around with a smile on their face, and it's genuine. Heaven will be a place of meaningful relationships. 
Not only will we get to know each other even better than we know each other here on earth, but we will also get to talk to believers who existed before us, including the apostles and Moses and Jesus himself. It's going to be awesome. Heaven will be a place where everyone lives to serve others, and nobody's going to be griping about it. Serving each other will be something we're all eager to do. No, let me, let me clean the floor. No, let me clean the floor. That's, that's how it's going to be going. Although we won't have to clean the floor because there's no dust or dirt in heaven. So I don't, we'll be doing other things. Heaven will be a place where we get to learn new things, visit new places, and explore. Any explorers in the room? For the first time, we will understand the fullness of God and all of his mysteries will be revealed. Heaven is a place of unbelievable real estate. You will live in a mansion that Jesus himself built for you. Awesome. You will walk on streets of gold. You'll be lavishly prosperous, and nobody will be jealous of you for it. Amen. Because I tell you what, when you experience some prosperity here on earth, people don't like it. (laughs) It causes persecution. When you experience prosperity in heaven, there is no persecution added to it. You're just going to be able to enjoy it. Heaven is where we belong. And once we get there, time will officially end and eternity will commence. We'll be forever with the Lord. So everybody listening to this message is either saved or lost. You're either walking the narrow way that leads to heaven or you're walking the broad way that leads to hell. You either know Jesus or you will encounter the Antichrist during the tribulation. James the brother of Jesus, lets us in on a simple way to know where you stand. He said, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? So I'm going to say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You're either a friend of God or you're a friend of the world. You can't be both. If you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. Here's how Jesus explains it. In Matthew 12, he says, anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. So I need to ask you a couple of hard questions, and I don't ask these today to lead you to a place of shame. I'm only asking because I care more about your eternity than I care about your feelings. Have you become a compromising Christian who Revelation describes as neither hot nor cold? Those who are lukewarm will be vomited out of Christ's mouth. Have you bought into woke Christianity, which has a form of godliness, but denies the power of Christ to free you from sin? Do you say you believe in Jesus, yet live a life of sin? Have you chosen the world over God? Like, do you prefer the fleeting pleasures of sin over the eternal pleasure of heaven? Because as of now... It's not too late to choose Jesus, but one day it will be. So if one of these questions has hit you where it hurts and you're ready to make a change, today is the day to make that change. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. 
And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.